I'm going to try and give it to that mic, so can everyone hear me at the back? Is that okay? I have tended to talk to get quieter and quieter, so if you stop being able to hear, just kind of wave and I will try and up the volume. Um, thank you for the introduction, Chris. Um, I never knew I was quite so polite in my English. <laughs> um, it's very, very good to see all of you here. Uh, those of you that managed to make it to the London launch will know that I began my speech there by saying the nightmare scenario if you do one of these uh, talks or book events and there's no one here, you end up just speaking to the bar staff all that long. So I'm, I'm very glad to see you here. Um, in the invitation, it said there would be a reading. Now, I'm afraid I'm disappointed, so there is going to be no reading. Those of you who know me well will know why that is. Um, those of you who don't, I'll just offer a word of explanation. My problem is when I do a reading, if you put the book in front of me, all I see is the latest draft. So as I'm reading, I start re-editing the words. <laughs> the problem with this is, you're reading it, and you think, did I really use that word? <laughs> I've changed that word for You read on, then you realise the word you've changed is actually in the next sentence. You think you've got to change again. Commas are all over the place. Colons, semicolons, my real sort of, you know, right there. So um, I decided, you know, not to do a review. Last year I went to Hodder, um, who's my publisher, um, and they said, well, we always like to have the author, you know, just read the first chapter and we can put it on a podcast on our site. And I said, no, please don't, I'll have this editing problem. And they insisted. So anyway, we went into a studio, we got a microphone in front of me. About 15 minutes later, we got through about two paragraphs. They said, well, actually, perhaps it isn't. <laughs> and then they got so yeah, they thought, oh, perhaps we shouldn't have said that. So they said, oh, don't worry, lots of writers have this problem. So we had someone in a couple of days ago, and he couldn't read from his book either. So he being nosy, asked who it was, and they said, oh, it's Michael Caine reading from his memoir. So if Michael Caine can't do it, sort of, you know, I'm, it's perfectly all right for me not to do it. So in lieu of a, a reading, I thought I would just say a few words about the book. And what I would say is the two things, there are two things I'm always asked about it. Actually, it's not told you, there are three things I'm always asked about it. In the last week, I've had the third question more than any other, and that is, when is the US edition going to be available on Kindle? Well, that's probably not appropriate for tonight, so we won't go there. The first question I always get asked is, how realistic is the book? You know, is it you know, based on fact? Could this have happened? Well, obviously, it's speculative history, speculative fiction, so we don't know for certain. What I will say is the Nazis were kind of were planning to take control of large areas of Africa. And as early as 1934, less than a year after coming to power, they'd already established something called the Colonial Policy Office, which is designed solely to uh, secure overseas territories. And we tend to think of the Nazis in Eastern Europe and the Soviet Union, but their ambitions were truly global. And by 1940, after they'd conquered France, it seemed the Reich was invincible, uh, they started deep and kind of serious planning towards conquering Africa. And this involved carving up the continent, Developing weapons that could be used in sort of high humidity um, uh, conditions, and they went so far as setting up SS training academies. Now, if you buy the book, which I or hope you will, you'll see at the back there is a historical note, and that puts everything into context and kind of just shows just how much of it is real. The second question I get asked a lot is, how did you come up with the ideas? And I suppose one of the reasons we answer these two questions is I don't have to speak anymore, you know, this evening. Um, where did I come up with the idea? I mean, it is an impossible question to ever answer like, how you come up with the idea of a book, especially something that runs to like, over 100,000 words with different elements and characters. And but to me, there were two moments. And the first of those moments was the title. 
Now, normally when I write, I write the book, have a finished book, and then spend hours, hours, hours days, weeks, months agonising, trying to get the titles. And then normally just before it goes off, something pops into my head and I'm extremely grateful. With the Afrocrite, it worked the opposite way around. I came up with the title um, first. And this is going back uh, several years now. I was in London in Dillon's, I don't remember the bookstore Dillon's that I eventually went bust and I was taken by Waterstones and whatever. Anyway, I was in a, a branch of Dillon's on Oxford Street and a new edition of William Shearer's The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich had just come out. So I was looking at that. And then later in the afternoon, I, I popped into Dorothy Perkins. Um, <laughs> not to find it myself. <laughs> and they had a, a big screen there. There was something terrible happening in Africa, as there so often is. And they had uh, BBC 24, and they said, and now we're going live to our Africa correspondent in Lagos, or whatever it was. And for some reason, that word Africa correspondent just pinged in my head. And thinking of the Shearer, the two came together and had this title, The Africa. And I thought, that is a really, really good title for a book. What would it be about? Well, obviously something to do with Africa and Nazis in Germany. I don't know. Anyway, I kind of scribbled it down and sort of off it went into my memory to sit there. I was going to say festive, but probably just say it's the better. <laughs> a couple of years later, I moved to Brazil, and uh, I was sitting in, on the beach in Rio one day, as you, as you do if you live in Brazil, and I was reading Philip K. Dick's uh, book of The Man on the High Castle, which is regarded by many as the classic alternative history novel. And that imagines the Nazis uh, winning the war, conquering the world. And specifically, it's set in a Nazi-controlled United States of America. But at the beginning of that book, about, I think it's page 20, somewhere like that, there's a single throwaway line that talks about the Nazis' terrible experiment in Africa. And sat there on the beach, I read this and I thought, this is something, there's something there, there's potential to develop that from a few words into a story, maybe even an entire novel. And then I remembered my title, The Africa Line. So those two came together, and then I had something. And then, well, it was a very, very long uh, process that came after that, which I won't bore you with uh, now, but it took years and years um, to develop those ideas to the book we have here. And during that time, I got the escalator speed. Um, I was going to say something about the escalator speed, but uh, Chris has kind of, um, got those sort of kind of forensic details. So there are only four things I would like to say about escalator. One is I was very, very lucky to have a very good mentor in Catherine Park who made a huge difference um, to my book. She really did sort of read it and sort of really engage with it and gave me ideas that sort of made it a better book. The second thing is we uh, already know is the Arts Council grant, which enabled me to write, sort of, you know, free write and worry about other forms of work. Thirdly, was I met a really great group of people, many of, here, of whom are here today, so thank you very much for coming along and supporting me. And fourthly, and in many ways perhaps the most important thing, was that writers tend to work in isolation, sometimes they don't know other writers, and there's that terrible thing of you know, saying, I'm writing a book because practically everyone is. And there's no way to distinguish you know, if you're actually a inverted commas, proper writer, or you're just someone sort of, you know, who likes the idea of it. So getting the award gave me real validation, and that kind of you know, helped boost my own kind of confidence to actually think, yes, I am a writer, and this is a career worth pursuing. Anyway, that's about all I've got to say, um, with exception of one last thing, which I say at all these events, so those have already been to time, I apologise for repeating myself. The very best publicity there is for a book is good word of mouth. So please go and tell everyone you know about the book, 
um, encourage them to buy it. If they don't want to buy it, force them to buy it. Um, also, if you read it and you like it, please do write a review on Amazon or mention it on Facebook. Anything basically just to get the word out there because, as you know, as a debut uh, novelist, even with the kind of good reviews I've had, it's very, very easy to disappear quickly and obviously I don't want that to happen. Anyway, thank you again for listening. Thank you again very much for turning up and I hope we'll get a chance to speak to you all sometime soon. Thank you very much.